Hi, I'm George Boldarki. Cityscape won't be heard this week, so we can bring you a special presentation as part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign focused on autism acceptance. Coming up, you'll hear a panel discussion on the issue produced in conjunction with BronxNet Television. Hello, my name is George Boldarki. I'm the news director of NPR affiliate station WFUV, located on the Rose Hill campus of Fordham University here in the Bronx. Each quarter, WFUV works to raise awareness of a particular issue through our Strike Accord campaign. Our past campaigns have focused on everything from combating drug addiction to children in foster care to reducing waste in the city. We're very pleased to be teaming up with BronxNet for our latest campaign focused on autism acceptance. Inclusivity and understanding are the pathways to accepting and getting to know the people around us. With me now are three people who work every day to help promote a greater understanding and acceptance of people with autism. Amanda Friedman is the founder and executive director of the Atlas Foundation for Autism. The organization is dedicated to improving educational opportunities for autistic individuals through after-school, therapeutic, and other scholastic programs. Michelle Sanchez-Steerheim is the founder and executive director of Spectrum. Spectrum Warriors, Inc. Spectrum Warriors helps families with autistic members who feel isolated to become a part of their community again. Florencio Flores Palomo is the founder and executive director of Reach Swim Academy. Reach offers swim lessons to autistic kids, giving them a safe space to socialize in small groups and get some exercise. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for having having us. us. Amanda, I want to start with you. How do you explain autism? to someone with a lack of understanding about what autism actually is? I think that's a great question. Um, When you come across people in different contexts, how you approach explaining autism can really uh, vary. If you're out in the community and with a child with autism in the moment, I think simple and swift is always a good way to go and simply to say that what's going on in the moment is uh, because someone has a different way of communicating and a, a different neurological kind of makeup, Um, When you have a little bit more time to sit down and really talk to people about um, their own kind of behaviors and how they respond in social situations, you can reflect a little bit more deeply and share some really great resources. That's kind of how I I like to adjust based on the circumstances going on. Do you find that even today, as far as we've come in terms of awareness, that people are still a little uncertain about what autism is. I think you're being quite polite, absolutely. (laughs) There's definitely a lot of stigma still around what autism is, and people either know um, a really intense approach element of autism, uh, nonverbal, sensory challenged, um, or they know rote, high-functioning, Asperger's-like um, elements of where what they see on TV. Oh, can my can this child be a doctor? Like you know, the good doctor. The good doctor. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I think that um, we have a lot of understanding that we still need to make clear that autism is so very different. Um, not only among multitudes of different children and young adults and and adults as they grow into their communities, uh, but that autism in one person can look very different in different social scenarios. Mm -hmm. So how someone's child or how our students are in the familiarity of their school or home might be very different than how they are at the grocery store, at a concert, or where things are a little bit more unexpected. Michelle, you aren't only the founder of this organization, Spectrum Warriors. You're also the parent of an autistic child, correct? Two. Two autistic autistic children. Yes, sir. Um, How old are they? Nine and six. 
Gabriel and Anissa. And um, actually, Spectrum Warriors was founded because of Gabriel. The name was chosen by Gabriel. Is that right? Yes, sir. Um, the logo was his idea. What does the logo look like? <laughs> um, we have a shield with the lion, the, <laughs> the medieval lion in stance, and it has the puzzle pieces in it. That was all his idea. So how much did you know about autism before you learned of your children's <sighs> diagnoses? Not a thing. Not a thing. Gabriel, um, I hit the ground running, and I haven't stopped since I got my son's diagnosis. Um, I went through all the motions that we as parents go through, you know, did I do something wrong? Um, trying to bargain with the universe, like just <laughs> fix them. And, um, and you know, I promise I'll do this or I, I'll do that or I'll be a better person. And then the grieving process of, I was grieving for a child that I thought he was or that I thought I wanted him to be. And once I was able to realize that, I kind of flipped it around. I'm like, well, he was always this way. So, What's wrong with me? Not what's wrong with him. It's what's wrong with me. And um, bless his teacher's heart, Miss um, Gabriella Klassen, who's now retired, she saw this shift happen in me, and then she just kind of shoved me out to the lion, so to speak, and was like, well, if there's another parent who needs an evaluation for their child. Will you help them? Because you got yours done pr pretty quickly, and you got all these services. I had no clue what I was doing at first, none. And it was just kind of fly off the handle. And, well, here I am today. I took trainings and classes to keep going and keep going. And I wanted to know more. And then I didn't want to only know how to help my kid, but how can I help this other kid that's in this classroom? Or how can I help this? Or can I, how can I help my neighbor's kid? So here I am. <laughs> that said, what do you wish you knew early on that you're now communicating to other parents with children with autism that you wish you knew from the get-go? Mm. That is not something to be sad about. Mm -hmm. That, that it's, it's not the end of the world and that you're not alone. That we are a village and we are a village that is strong and we're there to support each other. How much are you battling a stigma each and every day with two kids with autism? <sighs> Oh, my gosh. Um, I mentioned this to you when we were doing the, the PSA for the radio. Um, I have awareness. Excuse my lack of a better, you know, having a better metaphor, but I have awareness backing out of my toilet. <laughs> um, I am tired of awareness, and awareness is actually dangerous. And it's dangerous because it's a feel-good for the rest of society. You know, I put a ribbon on, I wear something blue for a day, I put up a sticker, and it's, it's a one and done. And for those of us who are families and living with it day to day, it's, it's angering. It really is. Because somebody can turn around for, you know, the 2nd of April or, or a couple of days during April, not even the entire month. And, oh, your child's autistic. Oh, that's okay. But then a week later, my child is having a meltdown where, you know, one triggers the other one, right? So I have two kids in crisis. And, of course, all the rude comments want to come flying out about how I need to right. better discipline them. And, well, she's too big to be doing that. And he's too big to be acting that way. And your child is rude and disrespectful. What happened to awareness? Yeah, I don't want awareness. I want acceptance. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. And it's, 
it, it is an everyday thing. There's always somebody, somebody down at the store who's used to seeing us every day. And I've explained to you a million times that my child's autistic. And I said, hey, if you want some more information, here's my card. Take my cell phone number. We can have this conversation. We can continue it, just not right at this moment, especially if my kid is in crisis. Please don't do that. But it's just an ongoing battle against the rest of the world and the older generation who has certain views and, and terminologies that they use for our kids that I'm not going to say because I did not, <laughs> they're not appropriate. They're not, they're not, it's not language that I feel is okay. Um, but it's just, it's just never ending. It really is. And I remember what I went through and I wanted to keep my child safe from that. And it was overwhelming, and that's why a lot of us go into seclusion and we don't come out and we don't integrate with society because what happened to my village? Right. We're going to talk more about the work that you do with Spectrum Warriors okay. to focus on acceptance and understanding, but let me get to Florencio and talk with you about the work that you do with autistic kids through your program, REACH. Yes. Um, again, thank you for having us. With REACH, um, I have been working with kids on the spectrum for the last on land for the last 30 years, for, in aquatics for the last 23, um, mm -hmm. at a time that autism wasn't even spoken of as widely as it is now. Um, I grew up in Nebraska, and I had relatives older than me, and in the 70s, they were um, not associated with the word autism, but we knew they were autistic, and I had two amazing parents who taught me at a very early age, you respect your relatives as your cousins, you learn how to play with them. You learn how to communicate with them. Okay. They are not there to adapt to you. We are here to adapt to them because the majority of the day, you live a normal life. So for that 30 minutes or that hour you're with that relative, you need to understand how they live. And it was a blessing. I didn't, even, didn't realize how big it was until years later when I decided to get into aquatics and expand my recreation career. And almost as, I, I like to say faith now, um, a lot of parents with special needs, especially those with autism, started finding me and said, we hear that you do a lot of great work with kids on the spectrum. Again, back then it wasn't even autistic. They would say, our special needs child. Mm -hmm. Can you teach them? We were told they could never learn. They're not being taught in a regular class. They're not being allowed at other programs. We've been kicked out. Can you do something? And I started working with a few kids, and then it started to spread. 18 years later, um, I realized there needs to be more done with the community and for the community, um, in aquatics especially, which is my career and my um, dedication of, of athletics. When I approach my bosses, every single time I heard the same thing, we're not going to do that. It can't be done. Mm -hmm. You're not going to integrate them with other kids. You can't have them swim at mm -hmm. the same time. Typical kids um, are swim because it's just not right. They're not going to learn to swim. Why are you bothering? And after 18 years of hearing that, I, th I thought, I'm either going to make a change in my own life or continue to hear no. And then I thought back to my father and what he taught me, and I thought, let me break away and let me start this and bring a program to New York, especially for the Bronx, because in my experience, there was a lot of children with autism in the Bronx, more so than any other borough I had worked with. So I thought, let me take this leap of faith. I think I have an idea here. It's been worked and proven to me in the past with other kids. Let me just multiply it. And if it doesn't work, at least I tried. And that was three years ago, and I'm very happy to say it has been working. Fortunately, with a great team that resigned with me to start this um, program of mine, the stream of mine, and since then we've taught almost um, nearly 450 kids on the spectrum and other special needs 
not only how to swim, but how to socialize, how to have fun. Mm -hmm. And what we're hearing from the parents is now they are more friendly at school. Now they have more friends at school. Now they talk more. Now they're more focused. We just had a, a child, a parent told us the other day that in addition to the child being more focused, their motor skills have developed and their physical therapists are now saying because of swimming, look how strong they're doing. So it is, starts with swimming, uh, what we do with reach, but as the name suggests, we try to reach on many spectrums outside of their homes, excuse me, outside of the pool, rather than the education and family. So um, we're very proud of it. Um, the kids are having a good time, and more importantly, they have a home. They have a home where they feel safe, where they're accepted, and the parents also come in and they find a network system of other parents they can talk to, other parents they can relate to, other parents that they can hopefully have playdates with, mm -hmm. things that a lot of parents on the spectrum find difficulty in doing with, finding that connection, finding that other family to say, not only do we accept you, we know what you're going through, and why don't you come join us? So um, it's been a really great time, and with people like Spectrum Warriors and Amanda um, championing alongside with us, it's even better things to come. So that being said, Florence, so how do you make this program work? How did you prove the naysayers wrong? Very simply, we started with getting the right team together, and I was very blessed to have the idea of my dream team. When I approached my team, I approached the ones who already had been working with special needs kids. So that's key, and I believe that's key in any program for any child, let alone special needs children, especially those with autism. Find the right people who are there because they want to be there. They're because they want to change the lives of people with um, autism, especially children with autism. Make sure that it's just not a paycheck for them. Mm -hmm. Make sure that they have the heart, the spirit, and their energy because I remember when I was a child, I understood a, a teacher who wanted to help, and I understood a teacher who didn't want me to be around them. So kids can feed off of that. Also understand the dynamics of children on the spectrum. Like Amanda said, it's not just one cookie-cutter formula for everybody. To understand that, yes, you might have two children in front of you who may be the same, have the same diagnosis, but they have completely different needs. So the way it works, again, with that team and then me as a director, I look at each child individually. And we take our classes and make them very small. They could either have one-to-one one, one -one lessons or they have a small group of three. Now, those people who are in groups of three classes, I make sure that they, their needs are the same, their skills are the same. So that way, when we have a class structure, not only is the instructor prepared to teach them the right way, the kids are learning from each other as well. So you're not going to see a child who's very high-functioning with a child who's more moderate. And that's my job, and that's the way it works. So... Basically, and I try to communicate this to all people who work with special needs, you have to have a director who actually cares. You have to have a director who actually takes the time to not only understand the families, but the kids. Yeah. Then you have to have somebody to actually build that team. We have a really small team, and many people ask me, why don't you hire more people? Why don't you offer more classes? Because that's not reach. We're not about, we always say, we're about the quality of lessons, not the quantity of students. And in this day and age... A lot of businesses don't think about that. They think about the money. So in addition to finding the right people, throw the finances out the window. Make sure that you have enough money to obviously pay your bills, but don't be profit. Be the motivator to start this program, especially when we're talking about kids on the spectrum. Let intention be your motivation. And I think if we start with that and we build off of that, it's, a first, um, it's definitely going to win because at the heart of it, they're children who can learn. And if we look at it like that, there's nothing but going to be success, 
if you think about all those things and put those um, ideals forward, it's pretty easy to have success. It's about are you willing to take those steps for that success? Speaking of children who can learn, Amanda, I want to get back to you and talk about education. You actually have a school for yes. children with autism, correct? I sure do. Tell us about that. So uh, our school is a nonprofit school for children 7 to 21. We have other programs for our students as well, but uh, the school is uh, based on multiple approaches. It's a multi-strategic approach, and I think that's what we've all kind of been yeah. addressing in, in different ways um, because we all learn in so many different modalities. Um, our, our space is very uh, fluid, um, kind of like uh, tie-dye, right, where you don't have a lot of uh, clear edges, things aren't blocked in, in the most traditional fashion, but everything finds a way to mesh. We have a very large sense region. Our students need a lot of movement, um, whether that be due to moments of dysregulation or that's what it takes to be able to help them regulate themselves to be able to process language, to be able to connect with peers, and then to be able to trust. Um, you know, Florencio was talking just now about uh, the power of intention, and a lot of schools tend to grow very quickly. Uh, we're an intimate-sized school. We have 17 students um, with a two-to-one ratio. Uh, so we, one of the reasons we also wanted to keep a two-to-one ratio is we don't want to make our children uh, totally reliant on us, right? Uh, people tend to uh, over-prompt to over-support, and then when students go to try and practice things with other people, they may not have the same success. Why? Because they weren't taught to be able to know what they know intrinsically. We want them to like us, want us, but not overly need us. Um, the school is, is unique in the fact that we have structured schedules, but we also work with our staff to be able to talk about mindfulness and presence. And within the autistic community, um, slowing things down, being sensitive to how really wild, especially in New York City, everything is, is on our, our sensory system, our neurological system, our emotional system. Things are coming at you all the time. And what we wanted to be able to do was create a space that felt like a sanctuary, but that we could push the envelope, push boundaries, not run away from behavior, actually trigger sometimes the challenging behavior so that we could make sure our students know they can work through anything. And if they could do it with us, then they could do it in the community. And if they could do it in a safe community, they could do that and try things where maybe they are going into a workforce or a volunteer setting or a day hub setting where people don't know them and they can still be clear on who they are. Um, so that's really what drove us uh, to be able to create Atlas in the way that we did. Now, you said you had 17 students. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's a small group. And that being said, are there enough educational opportunities for children with autism in a city like New York? So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to, to look at the definition even of education and how we look at things. Um, in an ideal situation, the public schools would be more... Um, capable and ready for our students uh, because autism is such a wide uh, wide range of behaviors and the way that it manifests um, the schools don't necessarily have the capacity uh, to offer the attention that our students need uh, to be able to give the reprieve 
uh, when things become too much, to have all of the visual schedules and supports that make them the most successful, right? And the joyfulness, right? Because when you have a overcrowded school and the buzzing bells and locker combinations to struggle with, the, all the transitions become the predominant piece of the day and the learning gets lost. Uh, then you do have private schools, uh, we're a nonprofit private school, um, and families have to go through a, a very intensive process just to be able to get access to what's called a free and appropriate public education. education. Michelle and, is nodding over here, yes. so you've experienced this for yes, yourself. Yes, I have. <laughs> How challenging has it been for you to get your kids into school? Do they go to public or private? Um, my little girl is in public school right now. My little guy, I got him into Rebecca School, and that was nowhere near an easy process by any means. And he suffered. He suffered in just the amount of stress and <laughs> physical stuff and, and emotional things that were going on. I'm not going to go into full detail, but um, all of that that he had to go through before... Department of Education said, yeah, okay, this isn't the right setting for him. And, I mean, now he's, he's becoming regulated and he's happy to go to school and he's learning and he's reading now. He wasn't doing that in public school. He's able to do things that he wasn't doing before and it might not be at the level where everybody, you know, assumes that a child should be at. And I'm going to comment on that in a second. But it, it it is it's it's a draining process. Yeah. It, it, it's it's there are parents who give up because of the whole process of having to get a special education attorney and making sure that all the I's are dotted and yeah. T's are crossed. And but then when you enter a world like Atlas or Rebecca School or or Gersh Academy, I got one of my parents who just started over there. I'm so excited <laughs> for them. Um, it's a breath of fresh air. It's not having to get a phone call or a text message from the school like every half hour. Yeah. Hey, your kid's having behaviors. Can you come get them? It's, it's not, it's, it's night and day. And um, the other thing that I want to touch on that they don't understand in public school, no matter how much you try to tell them, our kiddos, they have technically kind of two ages, right? Yeah. They have their true age, their birthday, you know, their age, and then they have their developmental age. And what they're doing in public school, there are teachers who do care, but there, there, are, there, there aren't enough of them, I feel. I think that they're overstressed and overworked, but that's another topic for another day, right? Yeah. Um, but we're taking these kids and we're going by their ages and we're putting kids in you know, special education. If we start with public school and community school, we're doing clusters. So we have K, one, and two together. And not only is it a lot and it's overwhelming, but you're expecting these kids to be at the level where a typical child would be at. So a second grader should be able to, quote, unquote, do X, Y, and Z, but you have a child who's a second grader and developmentally four. I'm just giving an example. Right. You know, so what's a... What, what what happens then? This child is getting lost in the system, and from things that I've experienced, there, they, there are times that 
support teams will kind of tweak the, the IEP and all of a sudden the percentage that a child needs to meet to pass grade is dropped a little bit lower right. and then dropped a little bit lower and then you have this kid who's just lost. They are lost and they're not learning and they're, it's just, it's a train wreck. Let me ask you this question, Florencio. Do you see that students' academic performance gets better through the swimming program? They do better in school after going through and building confidence in swimming? Well, we, from the parents themselves, they tell us their focus is more. Um, so obviously with a child who's on the spectrum, whose focuses tend to be a little bit scattered, for, not for everybody, but for a lot of them, when you can focus, then you can learn a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But the challenges, as Amanda and Michelle points out, is even when they're focused, if they're being bullied, if they don't have the right teachers, if they don't have the right system in place for them to learn, it doesn't matter how focused they're going to be if they're not being taught what they need to be during that window of time when they can focus. But yeah, I will say I'm very excited to hear every time a parent says, oh, our, our, they're so much better in math now. Now they're so much more focused in gym. Now they're more focused in reading. Um, they're taking on other projects, especially with that friend. So that focus, at least from the pool, at least they're helping them socially as well, which to me is really, really key. The fight to make our education system in this country for all children is pretty strong. But you take that with our special needs children that Michelle has, has pointed out and Amanda experiences, it's even stronger. Um, so we're doing our work. We're trying to do our best to have that focus. Now it's time for us to expand our reach, so to speak, yeah. and keep that fight from the pool, or not the fight, what we learn in the pool, and hopefully translate that to our teachers. You know, I think Michelle might have touched on this. Our teachers are underpaid, um, and it goes back to getting people with the right intentions. I hope and I, I look forward to the day that our teachers in this country are revered and put on a pedestal as high as our internet celebrities. And if we pay them and make it such a cool thing to be a teacher to change the lives of children for the better, I think then we can you know, get the right people into our school system. It won't have to be a private situation. Every single public school will be the same way. Everybody's gonna be on the same um, playing field, equal opportunity. So when we do have those great advances with being able to have a child more focused, whether it be at reach with swimming or hockey or basketball, when then they go back into the school system and they're more ready to learn and they're able to learn because of their focus, we have the right people teaching them as well. We only have a few seconds left, really. So, Michelle, I'm going to ask you to give in the last word here. Autism acceptance is, finish the sentence. Inclusion, families not having to hide families feeling reunited, so, so to speak, with their, their, their neighbors, with their, their, the person in the store, the grocery store bagger. Um, gosh, give me a second here, because this is like a really spot. hard, <laughs> it's a big mouthful, right? Um, it's understanding. Understanding and not, not coming forth with ignorance and an arrogant comment. It's if you want to know, be inquisitive, that's fine. And then I can help you to know. Um, but I, I can't help you if you're going to be arrogant and belligerent about it. We don't want awareness. Again, awareness is everywhere. It's a feel-good thing for the rest of society. We need to move past that and have acceptance and have, be able to have a oh, perfect example. Acceptance, 
is me being able to bring all the kids that I'm working with, right, downstairs to the store and not having somebody threaten to call 911 on these child if they're having a meltdown. And I know you're doing a lot of great work with law enforcement. We yes, didn't have time to NYPD talk about that, amazing. so I encourage people to look your organization up, Spectrum Warriors, to find out more about the great work that you're doing. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet, focusing on autism acceptance. I want to thank our guests, Amanda Friedman, Michelle Sanchez, Steerheim, and Florencio Flores Palomo. For more information about the programs they're involved with or to simply find out more about WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, visit WFUV.org slash Strike Accord. I'm George Bodarchy. Thanks so much for being with us. And that's all the time we have for this special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet, focusing on autism acceptance. I want to thank our guests, Amanda Friedman, Michelle Sanchez-Steerheim, and Florencio Flores-Palomo. For more information about the programs they're involved with, or to simply find out more about WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, visit WFUV.org slash Strike Accord. I'm George Borarchi. Thanks so much for being with us. We hope you enjoyed this special presentation of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign focused on autism acceptance. Cityscape returns next week with an interview with Bonnie Slotnick of Bonnie Slotnick Cookbooks in Manhattan's East Village.